message titled Worship That Pleases God. And what you saw up there on the video screen is from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And as I was preparing for today's message, I was looking at it and kind of carving it up and outlining and all those different things that pastors do to, to figure out what the real meaning of the, of the scripture that we're looking at um, really means and how it can be organized into a sermon. And I found you could separate this into many different reactions that people had to what Mary was doing there. You could focus on the alabaster jar. There are all kinds of sermons out there about the alabaster jar and the fact that other gospel accounts had her breaking the alabaster jar to pour it out on Jesus' feet. You could focus on the duplicity of Judas's reaction. As you saw their little editorial that John the Apostle gave that he didn't care anything about the poor. He just wanted the money for himself so he could steal it. You could focus on the fact that Mary was doing this because she actually believed what Jesus said. And this was the start of the Passion Week. And eventually Jesus was going to his death on the cross and Mary was preparing him for that. And I don't think that any of these subjects are as important about what, as what Jesus himself actually focused on. And that was the extravagant worship shown to him by this young woman. Worship is a spiritual principle I think that we need to be reminded of frequently. Because worship is at the core of who we are as human beings. It's a reason that you and I exist. Humanity was created to bring worship and love to God. And people spend their whole lives wondering what their purpose is in life. Well, I have it for you this morning. Everybody's wondering what the meaning of life is. Meaning of life is this. You were created to love and worship God and serve Him as evidence of your worship. That's the meaning of life right there. To love and serve and know God through Jesus Christ. And I could stay, say amen right here and step down off the pulpit. That's the truth of what we're going to be talking about here this morning wrapped up in a, a tweetable way of saying it. So this morning, I want to talk about our worship of God. Because in the modern church, we've delegated the idea of worship to just a few songs on Sunday morning. And the concept of worship, it's gone through a lot of interesting changes in the last several decades. Unfortunately, our modern church culture has cheapened it just to a style or genre of music instead of making it what it is supposed to be. So right off the bat, let me list what worship is not. Worship is not just the style of music. You see many churches out there right now, they're saying, we have contemporary worship at this time, and we have hymnal worship at this time, and we have a mixed worship at this time. That's not really what worship is. It's not just the style of music. Worship is not just something you do on Sunday mornings. Worship is not dependent upon how you feel or how the worship makes you feel. Worship isn't just an action. It doesn't matter how high you raise your hands or how loud you sing. What matters is the heart in which you worship God with. And that's why I'm being very specific here, because these definitions matter. Within faith or life or anything else, the definitions of what we do matter. And the definition of worship matters because most worship... or be. I'm sorry, worship matters the most because worship is the center of everything we are to do. 
Now let's look at the actual definition of what worship is. If you were to look it up in a, in a dictionary or look it up especially in a, theological, um, in a theological dictionary, it would say worship is ascribing worth to someone or something greater than oneself. Worship is a statement first to yourself, second to people around you, and third to the spiritual realm of what the focus of your heart and life is. Again, it's not just a song. It's not just a style of music. And it isn't much about how, what you do or how you give. Everything, everything in your life is meant to be an act of worship. And it is an act of worship. I mean everything. Everything in your life. Let me say that again. Everything in our life that we do is an act of worship. That means both the good and the bad. The only difference is who you are ascribing worth to. Are you ascribing worth and worthiness to God? Or are you ascribing worth and worthiness to yourself? And through that, the enemy. So here's the question that we're going to answer this morning. Are your thoughts, your actions, your dream, and your life passion worshiping God or worshiping yourself? Because there's really only two options to choose from. So this morning we're going to look at the example of Mary washing Jesus' feet and look at what true worship really looks like. Let's pray. Father God, we just commit this time to you. And I ask that you probe our hearts and show us where the root of our worship is and most importantly, what the direction of our worship is. And I ask, Father, that you just convict us, that you put us back on the path that we are to be walking on, and that you would strengthen our faith to trust you with every part of our life. I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I've broken it down into a couple different categories today of what it means to be true and worthy worship of God. And the first thing that worship should do is make you realize this. It's not about you. It's simply not about you. That's, that is the first thing about what honest worship that is going to touch the heart of God means for us. And that is that worship should humble you. Most of you know I grew up Lutheran, and worship to me was singing songs from a hymnal. Every Sunday we'd go into church and we'd look at these small displays scattered throughout the church, and it'd have four or five numbers written on them, and those were the hymns that we would be singing. In fact, within your bulletin today, there's a little comic about it. You can see what I'm talking about, um, how it would be displayed in a Lutheran church. And if you were a good Lutheran, when you were waiting for church to begin, you would mark all those in your hymnal so there wasn't so much rustling during the worship time and everybody in the worship could just proceed very quickly. In my late teens, I walked away from God and I spent many years in rebellion and not giving God a lot of thought. When I started to return to a relationship with God because of the witness of a lot of my co-workers, I started attending an independent Pentecostal church where the worship was much, much different. That worship time was, was polar opposite of what I was used to. People were very open, they were loud, they were very expressive, 
during the worship time. For some people, that was their aerobic workout for the week. They'd be jumping, they'd be dancing. We had one guy that would clap his hands with his eyes closed and run all the way around the church. And the ushers knew to get out of his way and just open the door and he'd just clap his hands, just running all over the place in the church. And, that, and people would wave flags and do all kinds of things um, to demonstrate their worship of God. It was also the first time I felt the heavy presence of God. I don't know if you've ever felt the super heavy presence of God, but I remember in those early days when I first got saved, I had to literally hold myself up on the chairs and the pews in front of me because I had such a heavy weight of God upon me that I couldn't do anything. I I couldn't hold up my hands. I couldn't run around. I couldn't dance. All I could do was hold myself up because I had just that heavy presence of God soaking into me. It reminded me of trying to give candy a bath. You ever try to give a dog a bath that doesn't want to be in the water? And they, try, they do everything to kind of wiggle out and you just kind of have to hold them down and, and scrub them off? That was me when I first got saved. I didn't want to, to do any of you know, this, this heart soul searching stuff. I wanted to, to express myself. And God's like, nope, nope, i got to scrub you off a little bit more. And that's what God was doing in my life. If worship means to ascribe worth to something greater than we are, then in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves before Him and humble ourselves to the object of our worship. And that's the first thing that worship is meant to do in our lives, to humble us in order to elevate God in our lives. It's placing God on the throne of our hearts and stepping back from the throne and prostrating ourselves before Him and acknowledging who exactly He is in our life. Because the greatest pains in our life come when we try to kick God off the throne. When we say, we know better, God. Let me sit on that throne for a while. And I want you to think back in your life right now, or even things you might be going through today, and ask yourself, during those dark times and your heart's being filled with pain and conflict and, and, and just not at peace, and your spirit seems to be dwelling in darkness, and your mind's a mess, and you can't find your way out of any of these situations, if you were to be honest with yourself and more importantly honest with God, you'd have to admit that the vast majority of the pain in your life comes from the wrong person being on that throne. It comes through pointing somewhere else than to the object of our worship. And that is why worship is meant to humble us. Consider the example that is given us in John chapter 12 that we saw demonstrated to us on the the screen right there. Mary kneels before Jesus in worship. She kneels before him. She undoes her hair. Now to us 21st century people, that doesn't mean a lot. But in that culture, for a woman to show her hair like that, to take her hair down and and let it just flow, was an act of expressing intimacy. A woman would never, ever do that to anybody but her husband. And the fact that she did that to Jesus and then used that expression of intimacy to wash the dirtiest part of his body showed her absolute affection, adoration, and worship of Jesus. She's do, as she's doing this, she's weeping. 
both because her heart is so filled with gratitude and love for Jesus because of what he did for Lazarus, and because I believe she had an even slight understanding of what Jesus was about to do for her on the cross. Her worship caused her to humble herself in every possible way. And that brings us to our next point about what makes our worship worthy of God, and, that's what, and that is worship costs. You can tell a lot about a person by what they put their focus on. For some people, it's their possessions. For some people, it's a position or job. For some people, it's how much money they have. Some people are rabid fans of a sports team, and all you see is they wear T-shirts and, and jerseys of that sports team. For some people, it's focusing to showcase their talent before the world that they've really worked on and perfected. All, these things, all of us have things in life that we gravitate toward that bring us a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment in life. All of us have those, those kind of passions. For many people, what that one thing is, is what they really worship when they don't turn that toward God. Remember, our definition of worship is what we ascribe worth to, and what we ascribe worth to is the thing that we focus the most on. And for Judas, his focus was on money. And John gave that little editorial. He didn't care about the poor. He worshipped money. He'd steal money that was entrusted to him to keep for the ministry expensive of, of the entire group. That's why Judas objected to Mary's act of worship, because it costs a lot of money. How much money was that? In the video, it said silver coins. But in the Bible, the word is denarii. And he said it would cost about 300 denarii. A denarii was one day's wage of your average laborer. In our country, if you work a five-day work week, not counting holidays and vacations, you'll work about 255 days a year. So it was a little over one year's wage. Translating that into today's money, the average United States yearly pay for individuals is about $43,000. Counting the extra day, you get about $50,000 is what she spent to worship Jesus right there. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, and that's some expensive perfume. And it was poured at the feet of an itinerant rabbi. It also helps us to understand Judas's opinion to put that in a bit more perspective if if you are really not worshiping God, $50,000 seems like a lot of money to just spend in worship of someone. I mean, how many people could we feed in our community right now for $50,000? If you were to add up all the, the food stock of the grocery store over there, it would probably be just about $50,000. You could empty the whole store and feed a lot of people. But to Mary, it was the best she had. And she didn't hesitate to bless God with her best. And what that means for you and I is this. True worship will always cost us something. We're focusing on money, but it doesn't necessarily just have to be money. Matter of fact, it's usually rarely money. True, true worship is meant to cost us something. And that something is our heart attitude bowing before God and ascribing the worth that He is due. True worship is meant to point you to the thing of ultimate worth, and that is Jesus. There's another illustration in the Bible. King David was considered a man after God's own heart because he was a man that knew how to worship God in every way. 
It didn't mean he was perfect. All of us who have read David's life know that he messed up several times, big time in life. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of of all kinds of very evil things. Things that would disqualify him from, from any kind of office in our time. But God still used him. And he learned valuable lessons each time. And toward the end of his life, he had this true appreciation of worthy worship. The example I want to bring to your attention this morning is found in um, 2 Samuel chapter 24. The Bible records one of David's lapses in judgments. David commits a sin of numbering the fighting men. Now in our 21st century mindset, it makes sense that the king knows exactly how, much, how many people are in his army, doesn't it? He needs to know these kind of things. That, that's not why David did it. David did it because it was a source of pride for him. You have to remember that David took Israel. It, he, he took a bunch of families and coalesced them into one nation and became the superpower of his time. There was no other nation around him that could even remotely compete with him. So the fact that he had to number those fighting men was almost an afterthought. There's nobody who could, who could compete against him. And everybody came to Israel to see the glory of David's kingdom. And David essentially just wanted to be able to say, yeah, you see the gold over here? Pretty cool. You see that giant tower over there? Yeah, pretty cool. I did that too. You want to know how many fighting men I have, according to me? Yeah, don't even think of taking me on, pal. You see, he was doing it out of a sense of pride. And that is why God brought judgment upon Israel because of his actions. David is told, in order to remedy this, David is told by the prophet of his time to build an altar to God in order to cause the plague that was coming upon Israel to stop. And David's actions here are what I want us to focus on. David just didn't go out and find a chunk of land to build this altar. <coughs> David looked around and said, what is the most prime real estate I could find to build this altar to God? And he paid an exorbitant price for it. If you looked at the amount of money that he paid for it, he paid about 10 times what that land was worth. And he had a statement to that landowner that is very telling of a heart of worship. And he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Worship will always cost you something. It may be monetary. It may be putting aside a dream. It may be yielding yourself to the orders and and word of God when you don't want to. But it will always should cost you something. David shows us one of the kings to touching the heart of God with our worship, and it's that idea of sacrifice. Earlier we talked about the necessity of humility in our worship, and that's the first cost that we often pay to honestly worship God. And that idea should carry over into all aspects in our life. Worship that is worthy of God always involves that sacrifice somehow. That first church I mentioned too, we had a couple, very faithful in attendance. Um, Both of them worked. They had a great family. Uh, 
they were always one of those people you could always call they were available to do anything. It didn't matter what it was. And they would be there to, to help you out. And they were always there and they did it with joy. They were always giving their time, talent, and treasure to anyone who needed it, even, though, even if they couldn't afford it. And as I said, they weren't rich by any means. They had mostly like more or less a minimum wage paying job. Then the man got into a car accident. He wasn't hurt, but their vehicle was totaled. It's the only vehicle they had. Wife, took, wife was close enough to her job where she could walk or, or take the bus. So, but the only way he could get to work was to have a car because it was 30 minutes away in Illinois. And the pastor put that need up before the church on Sunday and asked for us to pray that God would bless them with a new car because they're so faithful to our church. And the next Sunday, I got there early to unlock the doors. And sitting in the overhang of this church was a new car. I don't mean a new used car, I mean a new car. With a, with a card stuck in the middle that this car and title and everything, all the paperwork was right there for them to be able to have this new car for free. <laughs> Amen. No one knew who bought the car. And no one stepped forward and the pastor asked the congregation during church who had bought it so he could recognize their act of generosity. A few weeks later, I was visiting with a, a member of the board of directors who was mentoring me in the things of God. And he told me that he canceled his three-week trip to Israel. And I was like, Bob, you've been saving up for that for five years. It's your dream. Three, week, three weeks in Israel, you're going to see every single site they were talking about in the Bible. He goes, why, why did you cancel that? He said, well, God needed the money somewhere else, and he changed the subject, left it at that. And my mind immediately went to that family that needed the car, and I just knew that Bob had bought it for him. He didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't tell anybody about it. And Bob isn't even his real name, because I think that even to this day he'd want to remain anonymous, because he did this as an act of worship that was meant to be directed to God alone, and he would not want to share in any of God's glory. Isn't that a testimony of worthy worship? And trusting God? I have to think that Jesus' smile on that man's dis and that man's obedience. Or I have to think that Jesus was smiling at that man's act of obedience, even at the cost of one of his dreams. What they did touched the heart of God. And that's the goal of any worship. So let's end today with a couple of simple takeaways. What is worship that touches God's heart? Worship that touches God's heart is directed on two different planes. Number one is the vertical, our heart relationship with God. That's the first and the primary method that we worship God, is through our adoration, lifestyle, prayer, obedience, all that is worshiping God. The second way is through the horizontal relationships that show the world his character, that show the world his love, that show the world his presence can mean everything in someone's life. Let me show you some practical examples of this that we can take away. Do you know that every time you show love to somebody who doesn't deserve it, it's an act of worship to God? Do you know that every time you're nice to the person at the cash register, it's an act of worship to God? Do you know that leaving 
A decent tip for the waitress that gives you horrible service is an act of worship to God. It's where the vertical relationship with God meets the horizontal relationship that we have with everything else or everyone else. And that's the represented in the cross of Jesus Christ. When we obey and believe the word of God and we act toward others in this world in a way that God tells us to do, that's what touches God's heart. And it does it more than a thousand songs we can sing. Our actions which show the love and nature of God worship our Father more than giving millions to the church. If you want to really know how to worship God, be like Jesus. Love like Jesus and show him to the world. Let's all rise. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that everyone, everyone in this building right now or listening by podcast can understand the love, the height and breadth and and deepness of the love of God for them. And that you would set their hearts free from the cares of this world so that they can worship you in spirit and in truth, not only with their lips, not only with their hands, not only with with dancing and, and all those other actions like that, but they can worship you with how they treat everyone else and show the love of Jesus through their life even when those people don't seem to deserve it, especially when those people don't seem to deserve it. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you place within us that heart of worship. I ask, Father, that you place within us a desire for holiness, a desire for obedience, and a desire to see Jesus be shown to this lost and dying world through the way we live our lives. Help us to worship you in every way, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.